Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cracking Addiction with Philippe and Naren and Fergal Armstrong. In the episode of Cracking Addiction today, we're going to be talking about amphetamines and methamphetamine in particular. And methamphetamine is one of those topical issues in Australian society. We're forever hearing about the, the ice epidemic in uh, Australian cities and particularly regional communities. And methamphetamine and amphetamines in general are psychostimulant drugs that work by essentially um, releasing and blocking the reuptake of neurotransmitters, in particular dopamine, norepinephrine, and serotonin. And methamphetamine belongs to a class of, of drugs. And Fergal, could you expand a bit about the, the class of drugs that amphetamines um, belong to and, and the classification system for, for this group of, of chemicals? Yeah, so they're all derivatives of phenethylamine, P-E-A. And phenethylamine functions, as it's got two main functions, and it interacts with the trace amine-associated receptor, and it also uh, blocks um, uh, VMAT and the, the transport proteins. So that's basically how amphetamines work, and we'll, we'll, we'll go into a bit more detail in, in a few moments. But functionally... They're all these substances called amphetamines are derived from PEA, and they can be amphetamine, or they can be methylated into methamphetamine, or they can be uh, they can have a they, they, another group is the dexamphetamines, and then remember we have uh, Liz dexamphetamine, which is vivance, which is used for ADHD, and then we also have uh, methylene deoxymethamphetamine, which is MDMA, which is otherwise known as ecstasy. So that's the family. We've got amphetamine, methamphetamine, dexamphetamine, and MDA, MDMA. And their principal effect is that they're stimulants, but they've, they've also got hallucinogen effects and other psychoactive effects, as we will discuss in due course. Now, if I can go to the specific mechanism of action of um, methamphetamine, and amphetamines in particular, there, you've got to understand there are three key actions that they have. So they inhibit DAT. Then they also inhibit VMAT, and then they are reverse DAT processors. So what does that mean in English? So dopamine transport protein, DAT, is the, is the, is the enzyme on the, on the presynaptic membrane that hoovers up all of the dopamine in the synapse that kills the dopamine signal. So you've got this process of synaptic release of dopamine into the synapse, and then it's stopped, and, who, and then the, uh, there's a function by which all of that excess dopamine is sucked back into the presynaptic cell. That hoover is DAT. Now, when the uh, dopamine gets sucked back up into the cell, it then has to be repackaged into little synaptic vesicles, and that is VMAT. So we have... We have the fusion of synaptic vesicles into the presynaptic membrane, which then releases the dopamine. And then we have it all sucked back up via the DAT protein. And then it gets back into the cytosol. And then dopamine then from the cytosol gets put back into new vesicles via VMAT. Now, how does methamphetamine work? Specifically, it stops um, the, it, it, it stops the reuptake of dopamine. So it inhibits that. It also inhibits um, VMAT. So basically, 
you, you don't package vesicles, so you get this intense concentration of dopamine in the presynaptic terminal, but it's not bound by vesicles, so basically it just hangs about and leaks through. And then it, it, the third action is that methamphetamine reverses the flow of the DAT. So instead of DAT sucking and hoovering up all of the dopamine from the synaptic cleft back into the presynaptic membrane, what it does now is eject all of the dopamine from the presynaptic cytosol into the synaptic membrane. So you, overall, you get this massive dumping of dopamine into the synaptic space. And fundamentally, that is why uh, methamphetamine works. And that's how it also has its uh, adverse side effects. Now, we've talked about that's the, that's the mechanism of methamphetamine, but why is it unique compared to the other amphetamines and the other family members of the PEA family? So there's a couple of, of reasons why methamphetamine in particular is, is unique. It's highly lipophilic, and it also crosses the blood-bain barrier more easily than the other amphetamines as well. And it's, it's such a potent drug compared to the other methamphetamines. The other thing that practically makes methamphetamine unique as well is that it does come in three common forms. It comes in, in a, a powder, uh, which, is, which is known as speed. It comes in an oily, oily paste as well, a, a base paste. And it also comes in crystal, crystalline form, so crystal meth, which is the most potent form. And, and crystal meth, as, as we know, can be, can be smoked um, and in, injected or insufflated as well. So basically you have a, uh, the uniqueness of methamphetamine is its high lipophilicity, um, if that's even a word, but it's highly lipophilic and it crosses the blood-brain barrier as well much more, um, much more easily than other amphetamines, thereby increasing its efficacy in, in, in its, um, its neuro effects, uh, as you mentioned, Fergal, and in particular, the, the flooding of the brain with dopamine, serotonin, and norepinephrine. So, so that is what makes methamphetamine so unique. And this effect is what has made methamphetamine the second most commonly illicitly used drug after cannabis. People are chasing, chasing this, this effect and, and, and Fergal, could you tell us a bit more about the fact that um, uh, about the, the effects of, of methamphetamine on the brain and, and this, this uh, significant release of, of these neurochemicals and, and yeah. what they do to the brain over time and, and the brain's neuroadaptation or, um, to, to these chemical effects? I think to understand that, we, also, we first of all need to understand physiological pleasure. So when we win a race, when we win a competition, when we have sex, when we have a lovely meal, when we go out with friends, we experience pleasure. And that pleasure is mediated by the physiological secretion of dopamine from the nucleus accumbens. Now, remember we said that methamphetamine causes this massive synaptic dumping of dopamine. When we have methamphetamine use on board, we get this huge amount of dopamine that gets released into the nucleus accumbens. And compared to the normal amount of dopamine that we would expect, it is supraphysiological. There's a supraphysiological release by a factor of at least a thousand. So you get a thousandfold increase in the amount of dopamine that is released into the nucleus accumbens. So you get this massive rush. And the second issue is that 
Whereas with normal physiological pleasure, you get satiety. There is no satiety in this rush that you get from methamphetamine. So if we look at eating a nice meal and the pleasure you get from eating a nice meal, eventually when you've eaten enough, eventually you no longer get pleasure from eating the meal. That's satiety. And with dopamine rushing secondary to methamphetamine, there is none of that stop switch. It just gets churned out and released and released and released until you effectively you get synaptic burnout and you don't have any, you basically emptied all of your nucleus accumbens of all potential sources of um, all potential sources of dopamine. So that's why it's such a more superphysiological, much more potent high. But how does that translate into clinical effects, Dalipan? So the, the clinical effects of um, uh, amphetamines and methamphetamine, we could potentially break them down into, into the, the positive and the negative effects. So the reason people take drugs is usually because they're pleasurable. And essentially, the, the, the positive clinical effects one gets from using methamphetamine or amphetamine are people can feel euphoric. They have increased confidence and energy. Um, they have less fatigue. Uh, they're able to perform simple tasks uh, more efficiently uh, with, with less um, processing needed for, for, for simple tasks, not, not complex tasks. And it can work as an anorectic kind of medication as well. So it decreases the appetite as well. Unfortunately, the, the, the converse or the, uh, the other manifestations of this can be um, both physical and psychological harms. And the, um, the other manifestations of methamphetamine can be increased anxiety, insomnia, anger, irritability, depression. And we do know that it increases the rates of um, self-harm and suicide, and it does increase mortality associated with, with, with those kind of um, those kind of um, thoughts and, and self-harm behaviours as well. So those are some of the, the common clinical manifestations, um, both the positive as well as the psychological harms. And we could go down the laundry list of other physical harms associated with it, be it neurological harms, cardiovascular harms, harms to, to, to the fetus um, for, of prenatal exposure to methamphetamine as well. So there are quite a number of different different. Um, harms associated with, with methamphetamine use and, and exposure. But Fergal, I thought, um, given this is quite topical, that we should talk a bit more about some of the psychological harms. And in particular, the, one of the, the most feared side effects of, of methamphetamine, which is, which is drug-induced psychosis. Could you expand on, on how the, um, the cumulative exposure to, to, to amphetamine and methamphetamine can, can cause drug-induced psychosis? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is one of the most feared psychiatric side effects of uh, methamphetamine. And I suppose it's really important to understand it's, it's going to be the top of the pyramid. So it doesn't happen to everyone, but it is, it is the most severe side effect. But because it doesn't happen to everyone, people who don't get it think they're immune to the side effects of methamphetamine. Well, you know, repeated cumulative exposure to methamphetamine, as you say, causes all of those psychiatric side effects plus, plus all the physical health ones. So it's not, even though you do get this cognitive boost and you do get this, you know, you don't feel tired and you're able to sustain effort for a while, there is a high price that you pay. But going back to DIP, I mean, the, the diagnosis of drug-induced psychosis is clearly uh, delineated in the DSM-5 and it's dependent on the finding of either hallucinations or delusions. 
But there are a couple of kind of refining criteria. So one of the criteria is that uh, you're experiencing hallucinations or delusions as a result of a drug that's capable of causing hallucinations and delusions, and that drug is either in use or the patient is withdrawing from use. Another criteria is that you're not mistaking the drug-induced psychosis for a primary uh, psychotic disorder. And again, we know that's also another issue that we need to talk about is how do you make that distinction? And then the third issue is it's, you are not mistaking the drug-induced psychosis for a and then, of course, the, the, the criteria for DIP also include the fact that there's got to be significant impairment and psychosocial distress for the patient. So those are the elements that we need to look at for the diagnosis of drug-induced psychosis. So, Fergal, what's the difference between a hallucination and a delusion? Well, uh, the, the definition of a hallucination is a sensory experience without, without actually having the stimulus. So... You can have visual hallucinations, so you're seeing things that really aren't there. You have auditory hallucinations, so you're hearing voices when no one's talking to you. Or you can have tactile hallucinations, so for instance, feeling as if there are insects crawling over you. So these are sensory experiences in various sensory modalities when there is no actually primary stimulus. Um, now, a, a delusion is a fixed-held belief that is contrary to or outside the domain of culture. So, for instance, you might feel paranoid. So we all know what we all have a vague idea whether that someone might be paranoid. Uh, but to have this uh, delusion of paranoid, you've got to be absolutely and totally convinced, contrary to all evidence to the contrary, that uh, that someone's out to get you. So that's that's the, the, the it's it's all about the intensity of the thought process. And I suppose in drug-induced psychosis, especially with methamphetamine use disorder, we're talking about auditory and tactile hallucinations, we're talking about ideas of reference and paranoia. So an idea of reference would be that, for instance, if you're walking down the street and you're walking past a television shop and you can see all the TVs on the screens and you think actually, well, the TVs are talking to you. Or you're in a bookstore and you open a book and you, you see a line in a book and you think, well, actually, that's written about me. Those are ideas of reference. So those are the kind of uh, delusionary and uh, hallucinatory experiences that are particularly associated with drug-induced psychosis. And I think this brings me to, to a second question, which is the overlay or the difference between, say, a drug-induced psychosis versus an enduring mental illness. So we know that methamphetamine use can worsen symptoms of pre-existing mental health conditions such as schizophrenia, and it can reduce the effectiveness of certain medications such as antipsychotic medications. Mm. So how does one differentiate between a drug-induced psychosis versus a lapse or a relapse of a pre-existing um, mental health condition or psychotic disorder? Yeah. Well, it's very difficult. You know, there's, there's no doubt about it. Uh, and I think that speaks to the fact that psychiatry is an art as well as a science. It also alludes to the idea that we, we've got two ways of diagnosing mental illness. We've got what is known as the cross-sectional analysis, and then we've got the longitudinal analysis. So in the cross-sectional analysis, we look at people as holistically and as broadly as possible. But it's a one-off snapshot. It's a one-off assessment. And that gives us uh, you know, a lot of information, but it doesn't necessarily give us the whole truth. The best way of getting a, a diagnosis is to watch a patient over time and see how a mental illness evolves over time. And this is, I think, the key to understanding the difference between a primary psychotic disorder and a, a DIP. Really, if you've still got psychotic symptoms 
a month after abstinence from methamphetamine, then you're really starting to get into the territory of primary psychotic disorder. Delayed presentation, so you can have delayed um, or, or prolonged ex psychotic experiences just due to a DIP, but it's rarer. And really, for me, a pragmatic cutoff is, as I said, one month. And I think, Fergal, just to, to round off some of the complications associated with methamphetamine use, we should probably briefly touch on some of the other health consequences of methamphetamine use. We know um, from a cardiovascular point of view, methamphetamine increases the risk of hypertension, arrhythmia, risks of um, heart attack and, and cardiomyopathy, as well as dissection, and it also increases the stroke risk. But I guess some of the other things that people may not be aware of or, or less aware of is it does increase the, the risk of, say, uh, risky sexual practices. And also, in terms of, of, of fetuses, prenatal exposure to methamphetamine can have long-lasting effects to, to children as well. So, Fergal, could you expand a bit more about some of the other physical health um, effects of methamphetamine use? Yeah, so it's, it's important to understand that this massive you know, dumping of dopamine is also accompanied by a large dumping of noradrenaline and serotonin, right? So you've, you've effectively got this huge emptying of all of your monoamines into synapses in the brain. And of course, that just causes chaos in the brain. That causes an autonomic hyperexcitation. So that causes overactivity and hypertension. And in particular, in the brain, we're looking at the high stroke risk. We're looking at seizures. We're looking at serotonin syndrome. So, you know, you have this large amount of serotonin that's secreted into synapses that then causes, you know, the brain to have um, autonomic hyperreflexia, confusion, and clonus and tremor. We're looking at Parkinson's disease. So, you know, this, this alteration in the balance between cholinergic and dopaminergic neurotransmission in the brain can cause Parkinson's. We've got impaired cognition and we've got impaired emotional regulation. So again, that alludes to the psychiatric phenomena of irritability, anger, rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If we move on to the heart, um, one of the one of the saddest things I ever saw was that I saw a 25 year old man as an inpatient in hospital. He was 25, and he was lying in bed and he was dying of non-ischemic cardiomyopathy, secondary to prolonged methamphetamine use. So he used to be a young, fit individual, and he'd taken so much meth that his heart, which was normally which normally pumps very efficiently, was just a bag. And I watched him die because his heart wouldn't pump because he had he, because of methamphetamine. So what that does is, in in basically, it causes a local increase in the uh, amount of dopamine and also noradrenaline that stimulates the heart, and then it causes an overstimulation of the heart, which then causes a weakening of the heart to then cause heart failure. You can also get heart attacks, which then, of course, cause heart failure, and you can also get a phenomenon known as QT prolongation, which, causes, which can cause a fatal arrhythmia. So, you know, it's, it's, it causes significant disease in and around the heart. Another thing to think about is it can cause bodies to overheat. So remember that that massive dumping of neurotransmitters into the brain causes the, the, the central thermostat in the brain, which is found in the hypothalamus, to get deranged, and that causes a, a high heat in the body. And that can cause muscles to melt away. And of course, the waste products of muscle melting can then clog up the kidneys, causing kidney failure, and then can clog up 
or, or interfere with the coagulation system, causing a failure of the coagulation system. So we get complications such as rhabdomyolysis, acute renal failure, and disseminated intravascular coagulation. Uh, you know, methamphetamine also can cause uh, pulmonary edema, so you can get wet lungs as a result of that. You know, it can cause pulmonary hypertension, so the blood pressure in the lungs can be too high, which can be lethal. So, you know, you've, it, I think the key point to take home is that methamphetamine use is not just a pleasure uh, drug. It's not just a drug that you can use to keep yourself awake. There are significant side effects, including psychological side effects, neurological side effects, cardiac side effects, and metabolic side effects. But there are other side effects, Philippe. And I mean, what do you, what's your view on the role of methamphetamine in terms of damaging pregnancy and damaging to, damage to the fetus? Um, indeed. So th there is evidence that shows that um, prenatal exposure to methamphetamine, and I think there has been a meta-analysis that, that has shown this, that um, prenatal uh, methamphetamine exposure results in lower birth weight in infants, shorter body lengths, and, and smaller head circumference. So these can be lifelong mm. consequences that, that the child will therefore have to, to live mm. with as well. And going on to yeah. um, an, another potential risk factor as well is that methamphetamine use is, is associated with riskier sexual behaviours and riskier sexual practices. We know methamphetamine is sometimes used in, in chemsex parties as well, and it can lead to increased risk of riskier sexual practices, sometimes uh, increased um, chances of, of, of needle sharing as well. And we also know and there have been some studies that showed a, a rate of uh, increased rates of primary and secondary syphilis um, associated with methamphetamine use while it's been used in, in sexual practices as well. And we've all heard of and, and know patients with long-term methamphetamine use, particularly men with decreased sexual functioning and and um, issues with persistent erectile dysfunction uh, with prolonged methamphetamine use as well. So it, it is a risk factor for riskier sexual practices and can increase the risk of bloodborne viruses mm. being transmitted also. So there's there's a gamut of mm. risks as well associated with, with the physical harms associated with methamphetamine. So it's mm. it's been another pretty action-packed episode of Cracking Addiction where we've, we've discussed amphetamine and in particular methamphetamine. We've talked about the, the pathophysiology and, and how methamphetamine acts on the body. And we've talked about the, the mechanisms and, and manner in which it interacts with the body and the, the harms, um, both physical, um, mental and psychological associated with methamphetamine use. So thank you for your attention and bye for now.